today is the last day of the series. And next week we're going to move on to something even more interesting, I think. But uh, no series next week. Does that throw you off a little? <laughs> I feel like I should have a joke about now because we've been so serious in this service and uh, everyone's so quiet. <laughs> um, so how about this? I told you guys that my kids had a birthday yesterday. And here's the thing. I have learned that when you mesh boys' birthdays together when they're this young, when they get toys, the youngest one thinks that all the toys are his. Yeah. So, so my, older, my older boy got some really cool toys. And then after everyone left out of the party, my younger one goes, Mine. Did you know that there's one word in the English language you never have to actually teach a child? That word is mine. You never have to teach a child how to say mine. They're all really, really good at being selfish, aren't they? What was it? My wife was sitting in uh, the rocking chair yesterday, and that's, that's Malachi's sh- seat. He goes right up to his mom, brazen little man, and he goes, Mommy, my seat. <laughs> Leah just looks at him going, I think you can let me have it right now. <laughs> you don't have to teach a kid how to, be, how, how to be selfish, do you? You know, can I tell you a secret about me? I hate sharing meals. You get that? Every once in a while... This is something they never taught us in pre-marriage counseling, but they should have. When you go to a restaurant and you order something, I want what I've ordered. I don't order extra thinking I'm going to have to share it. But all of a sudden when you get food and you're like, what do you want? Oh, nothing. I'll just share what you have. No, you don't share food. Amen. I'm an only child. I never shared food. Maybe that's just, I'm glad it's not me, just me. (laughs) Is it a guy thing? Well, good. Learn it, ladies. Oh, okay. Well, Marie will stab us with a fork. Uh Uh-oh, that's on the internet. (laughs) Order one thing and share it. Wow. Wow. How long did that take you? You grew up in a big family. Okay. So that didn't take long then. Okay. That's kind of nice. I guess that's kind of nice. So you ever been to like Red Lobster and you got like the Admiral's Feast and this is massive tray of food? My mom never understood, but that was supposed to be mine. This is my meal. Well, you ordered that big thing. I thought I'd share off of it. No. But she's my mom, so I always shared because honor your parents. (laughs) Um, So one of the other things that we have a real hard time doing, one of the hard things things we have a hard time sharing is actually our faith. If you can't tell by the title on the screen. (laughs) Um, I wrote a paper. I I wrote a paper. I wrote an article in the newspaper. Any any of y'all read the newspaper this week? 
Okay. Good. Get a chance sometime. It might be cool. <laughs> um, so those of you who haven't, those of you who have, so this will be a little bit of a, 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 re, a refresh for you. I had not intended it to be this timing. It just kind of worked out that way. I wrote that article like a month ago. <laughs> but uh, I wrote an article called The Real Good News. And in the article, I tell a story about a man named Mark. And Mark was a good man by any account. Um, but the problem with Mark is he's, he, he never knew Jesus. And the thing is, is that even though Mark was a good guy, Good is not good enough. I mean, he never went to jail. He even visited his son in jail. And he's a fictitious guy. I made him up. So if he, if he has any reference to anyone in your life, it's not intentional. I tried to make the guy up. Um, but see, the thing is, is we're not good enough to get, to get us into heaven. There's, nowhere, there's, there's no good. There's no amount of good that we can be good enough to get into heaven. But something really interesting, I read this this week in an article, um, only three-quarters of the people, and there was done in a recent survey, only three-quarters three of the people believe that there's a heaven. What's more interesting is only half the people believe that there's hell. And I was like, so statistically speaking, I could walk out the door right here, and let's say there's 700 people in Glen Allen. 350 of them aren't going to believe that hell exists. You have a pretty good chance of running into someone who doesn't believe the hell exists. But opinion polls don't determine truth. Just look at any election. <laughs> opinion polls don't tell the truth. They, did the, they do the best that they can. That's what statistics are all about. We're going to give you the best estimate that we can. I mean, maybe, maybe it's not even that half believe. Maybe it's three quarters believe in hell. Whatever it is. But there really is a heaven, and there really is a hell, whether you believe it or not. And the thing is, is that if you've been a believer for any sort of amount of time, you've probably come across moments in your life and in your, in your spiritual walk when you go, did I miss that opportunity to share Jesus? Have you ever felt that? Like you walked away from something, you're like, oh man, I totally missed that opportunity to share Jesus. Good, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Man, I feel like I'm the only one dealing with this. And I was really nervous coming into service today because I'm like, man, I think I'm going to preach to myself because I'm the only one that ever does this. Um, so, see, the thing is, is that we can be really kind to people. We can be really nice to people. But do we show God's love through our actions? Or do we show ours? Do we ever ask them, do you know Jesus? Do you ever come to that point? You know, if you ask people, if you don't ask them, they'll never answer. If you do ask them, kind of puts them on the spot. How much do you really know Jesus? Uh, well, I, I used to. Used to is not good enough. I think... We need to be very honest about that sometimes. You know, there's another survey done, and I like reading surveys because I guess I'm a data nerd. I'm, a, I, I'm not really a numbers guy. I'm, I'm more of a words guy. Uh, but uh, these words caught me. 
um, in a recent survey that was done, they figured out uh, a popularity for sharing your faith. It's not a very popular thing. Um, for instance, who are the most popular people at sharing their faith? Most popular. You say preachers and pastors, but let's go with popular here. Who's the most popular? Evangelists! And what's the most popular of all the evangelists? Televangelists! The ones on TV. Don't we love tele- televangelists? Some of us have been saved by televangelists, right? They're great. Yeah. But here's the thing. They, wrote it, they, they ranked, on a recent survey, they ranked below lawyers, politicians, car salesmen, and prostitutes for integrity and honesty. They even ranked lower than organized crime members and drug dealers. For integrity and honesty. I mean, think about it. If you're a drug dealer and you don't have integrity, you're not going to be drug dealing much longer. And if you're in organized crime and you don't have integrity, you're not going to be doing that much longer. But televangelists, they can get up there and say just about anything they want. And sometimes they do. And it's bad. I'll tell you that right now. There's some televangelists out there that Honestly, what they're saying is needs to be checked. For those who don't believe in Jesus, talking to them about their faith is often, it's very, it, it can bring on a lot of anxious feelings and fear. Have you ever run into that before? Where folks, are, have you ever run into that where you're like, you get down to that point and you're like, I'm going to say it. And you're nervous. Think about their end. Think about their end of the conversation. Their faith is being questioned in that moment. And you know the truth. And you're addressing them with the truth. The truth is uncomfortable sometimes. Especially if you like the way things are. Most of us in the room here know that we're supposed to share our faith, but we don't. Am I off on that when I say that? Most of us? I think I'm right. I know I'm, I know I'm guilty, but it's not about guilt. And I'm going to get to that. I think, I think too often we try to maintain the status quo in our lives. Maybe because we're afraid of how our lives will change if we start sharing Christ more overtly. I think we fear what other people are going to think about us if we start going around and meeting people and getting to know them and then asking that question earlier rather than later. I think we wait because we try to be nice and we try to build relationship and all this stuff. Ultimately, we miss opportunities. I'll tell you a story. There was a pastor I knew. He uh, was asked to go to um, the hospital and meet with a uh, a cancer patient. Never met this cancer patient before. Um, But he knew the family. 
So it was like one of those weird situations where you have to understand for a pastor, that's like the most uncomfortable thing in the world to walk into someone's hospital room and you don't know them. And it's like all this pressures on you because you're like the representative of Christ to them and you know, they're not saved. And so what ends up happening is what he try to do is that most, most of the time what you try to do is you try to build relationship with them. Why? Because that's what we're always telling people. The best way to share your faith is to build relationship with people. Yes, absolutely. If you've built relationship with people, you should definitely be asking them if they're Christian and if they want to be saved. You should definitely be sharing your faith with them if you've built relationship with them. But here's the thing. If someone's in their terminal case of cancer and they're going to die, you don't have time to build relationship. Because this pastor friend of mine walked away having had good conversations about baseball and about sports teams and about kids and family and all this stuff, good conversation, great conversation, building relationship. He did everything by the book that you're supposed to do. He walked away and said, I'll come and visit you tomorrow. He came back the next day and the room's full of family and the man passed away. He died never having ever accepted Christ. The man's on his deathbed. He did it again. He got called in by someone. In, he said he got a call from a spouse in the church, and she said, hey, you need to go talk to my husband because he's dying. And he walked over, and it was one of those, it was another one of those weird moments, and he'd, he'd already had one by that time. And he walked into the room, and he said, oh, you're that pastor, aren't you? Did my wife send you? That's always a good way to say hi. <laughs> and he was combative the whole time. He, and the pastor walked away fe- feeling very dejected. But then he remembered that first, that first patient he went to go see, and he said, no, I'm not doing this. He turned around, walked back in the room, Look at the man straight in the face. He said, yeah, your family sent me to you to help you find Jesus because they want to spend eternity with you. Do you want to spend eternity with them? It's real simple. But it's a gut. And after two hours of conversation, a man accepted Christ. The very next day, he goes back. He has a smile on his face. His family is happy. And within a week, he's with Jesus. Those are the tragic moments in our life. And I think we forget that life is so incredibly fragile. I saw a bus sideways on the interstate on Friday. Who knew if anyone was on there? Who didn't know Jesus? Who had an opportunity to know Jesus? How many times have we walked away from those moments not having bore any fruit? Do your moments bear fruit? But what does God's word say about this? Let's let's look at... um, Let's look at God's word. Um, 
first of all, I want to talk about hell. And usually I'm not the the uh, fire and brimstone kind of guy, but here comes my fire and brimstone. Are you ready? It's about as fire and brimstone as I get. Revelations 14, 10 to 11 says, They will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night. For they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. Hell is not fun. I looked it up. (laughs) It's not fun. Some folks think that hell is going to be this place where all of their sinful friends are going to go to and have a big sinful party. You ever hear that before? Well, at least if I'm going to hell, every one of my friends are going with me. That's not even close to the truth of what hell's like. Think of it this way. It's, it's a place of eternal isolation, torment, a void. There's no possibility of parole or release. And if a person goes to hell, they suffer there with no relief for eternity. Where do the worst of the worst prisoners go that we send to jail? Solitary confinement. Why? Because as people, we're designed to be around other people. Even if we're introverts, we still have to have contact with people sometimes. Sometimes you can be like, I don't like people. I don't want to be around people. But the reality is, is that if you ever find yourself for days upon days upon days upon days, which I've done before, and you're not around people, suddenly you're like, I really just kind of want to be around a person right now. Maybe for like five minutes and then I'll be good. But, you know, it does happen, right? Hell is isolation. It's suffering alone. The worst part about suffering is when you're suffering alone. That's why we always tell people, are you sad? Are you depressed? Is your life not seeming to go right for you? Find help. Get help. Talk with someone. Talk to a friend. Talk to something. Why do we have you reach out to people? Because if you suffer alone, it's worse. And hell is suffering alone for an eternity with no possibility of ever, ever, ever getting relief. Never. That's a long time. You ever tell someone that eternity is a long time? They're like, really? No, it doesn't happen. People know eternity is a long time. But we act as if eternity is not on the line, but it is. Heaven's a very different place. We sang a song like this today. Psalm 8410, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. What is your best day ever? Think of, the, think of your 10 best days. Maybe it's the day your kid was born. Maybe it was the day you got married. Maybe it was the day, I don't know, figure it out. Maybe it was the day you got your first job or your first car. Maybe it was the day you paid off debt and you were happy. Whatever it was, a single day with God is better than a thousand of those. And we get an eternity with him. That's a lot of great days. Revelations 21, 3 through 5. Sorry for the eye chart. I'll read it out. He says, 
He will wipe away every tear from from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Amen. And the one and the one sitting on the throne said, "Look, I am making everything new." And then he said to me, "Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true." I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, "Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. So let me get this straight. Heaven, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. Everything is new. Not just your body. Everything around is new. And you're with God. And everyone else. That, that is the absolute opposite of hell. All bad things hell. All good things heaven. Very simple there. Here's the problem. The challenge is that a lot of people in the world today, for whatever reason, they think heaven's the default. It's not. It's not the default. What, is the, what, is, what does Christ say? Christ says this. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. I, I'm thinking of a song at this moment. Um, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Only if you ever find it. Whoa. Isn't grace good? So, imagine, imagine a line on the road, on the, on, the, on the aisle. Is this an aisle? No, this is a, yeah, this is an aisle. Imagine, imagine a line straight down the aisle right here. A line. A one-inch line. And my job is to walk on that line in a straight line, kind of like a sobriety test, and you walk straight on this line, not going to the left or not going to the right, because if you go to the left or the right, what's going to happen? You fall off. You ever seen a high, wi- high wire walker? Was it the guy, like 100 years ago, someone walked across to the Niagara Falls. I'm like, oh my gosh. I've been there. That place is scary. <laughs> you walk, and you're walking, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, I want to go do what my friends are doing. Don't take your foot off that line. Oh, wait, no, I should come back to God. And then you just keep walking. You're like, oh, look, this is over here. And you're like, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, nope, 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 nope. Grace, got to get, gotta get back. Okay, all right. And you can just keep walking. What happens if you do this, though? And you get off that line. What did you say? Crash and bang. Crash and burn. Guys, this is serious. Because we got people that are walking along the line thinking that they're good because they're walking in a straight line in the wrong, on the wrong side. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Your feet warm? <laughs> the 
the road to heaven is a very narrow path. I just, I find it very interesting that people are always saying the church is just so narrow-minded. Yeah, (laughs) we are. We are very narrow-minded. You're absolutely right. Because we know the truth, and the truth doesn't allow for a whole lot of anything but narrow-mindedness sometimes. No, we're not going to be okay with you, with you guys going off and having adulterous relationships. And we're not going to be okay with sexual morality. And we're not going to be okay with corruption and lying and stealing. We're not going to be okay with that because it's not okay. Some things in life are not okay, no matter how much you want to say or believe that they are. If you make it, if it makes you feel happy, then it's fine. No, not a true thing. Maybe in your life you believe that there's a heaven or hell. But do you live your life believing that there is a heaven or hell? And do you give a crud about the people around you that could be going there? Today. This is, I'm telling you, this is as close to hellfire and brimstone as I get. But the people that you've been working on and being nice with, and you haven't asked them that question, you haven't brought them to the feet of Jesus yet, they could die today without ever knowing Jesus, without ever having that. Don't let you be the reason someone doesn't go to heaven. That's a terrible thing to live with. Believe me, I've, I, I live with it. I'm saved, and I've got people in heaven I'll see when I get there because God's used me to get them to Jesus. And I'm happy to say that, and you should be happy to say that. But how many people? You remember the story about Lazarus, the servant Lazarus? He's like, Jesus, or, or Lazarus. Just, just pour down some water to us. We should have listened. Anyway, that's a different story. That's not a very well-known story. You guys should definitely read that one if you haven't. If we embrace the truth that there are a lot of people heading towards an eternal hell and that few are on the road to eternal life, wouldn't it be worth it to change some things? Wouldn't it be worth it to start sharing our faith on a more regular basis. See, there's a few reasons why we're not very good at sharing the good news. And I think I wrote about this in the article. Um, I think a lot of times we get confused and we start preaching what's called, what I call a false good news or a false gospel. And it's, uh, and it's, and it's kindness. Ooh. Some of us just want to be kind to people without actually getting them saved. And I think that's fueled by a couple different things. Fear, complacency, and ignorance. I think our fear fuels it because, you know, I think we're really concerned about what other people's opinions are going to be about us. I've told you guys, I told you guys last week, you know, as a pastor, I'm always kind of thinking like, what do people think about me? Are you guys like, you guys like me? You guys dislike me? You know, I'm in that profession, you know, where, you know, my livelihood is based upon whether or not the folks in the congregation still like me or not. And I go, hey, they haven't asked me to leave yet, so I must still have a job. 
But here's the thing. I think a lot of times we, we, run, we run in fear sometimes because we're afraid that someone's not going to like us anymore. We're afraid that people are going to have a bad opinion about us or a strange opinion about us. Can I tell you a story real quick? Because I love telling stories. There was a story in Acts chapter 4. And it, was, uh, it was Peter and John, and they were walking up to the temple, and they, they, they did this work where they helped heal a, a lame man. And next thing you know, they're being drawn in front of the Sanhedrin, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys. And they're, they're, they're having to account for what they've done. But I want to tell you what. Jesus didn't go out. And, and, and get disciples of the smartest people or the best dressed. He had tax collectors. He had fishermen. He had people that weren't exactly like the top tier folks in the world. You know who wasn't a disciple? One of the 12? Not a single one was rabbi. Not a single one of them was a scribe or a Pharisee. I mean, he had Pharisees that would follow him later on, but none of them were the 12. None of them were the, the, called, the called ones by Jesus. You see, the, in Acts chapter 4, I want to tell you something. When they were standing in front of these educated people that were very well off, they used the word ordinary about these men, about Peter and John. These ordinary men are speaking with the words of God. Do you know what the word ordinary means in Greek? The word is idiotes. It's where we get our word idiot from. These guys are idiots, but yet they speak with the words of God. With the authority of God. Can I tell you something? God commissions the broken believers to bring the broken lost to him. You take nothing else away from today's message, that's it right there. God commissions the broken believers, which is you, to bring the broken lost to him. It didn't matter what the opinions were of the leaders because they had, Peter and John had God in them. And it doesn't matter what people think about you because you got God in you. The next false good news that we, that, that we have to deal with, the next thing is that fuels our false, the false good news is complacency. See, some believers believe that their inaction is better than their action. Eventually, they'll see Christ's love in me, and they'll come to believe in Jesus. Sure, that could happen. Putting a gamble on that one. You know, every week I read stuff. And uh, the reality is, is people don't like conflict, and they don't like change. But the world is changing around around us, whether we like it or not. I was I was I was watching a video and reading an article this week um, from a. It was actually from a video. It was a video from a, a company that I actually I like their stuff for the most part. Um, and it was a video that had Ellen DeGeneres in it. And in her video, she's talking about understanding and tolerance. Um, the The premise was is that she she was stating that she's a friend of the former former president um, George Bush, and she was getting a lot of flack because she is a fr- pre- she's a friend of George Bush. And she's like, "Well, he's an understanding and tolerant guy, and I'm an understanding and tolerant girl, and we just kind of get along with each other." What are we supposed to be understanding and tolerating? 
We shouldn't tolerate some facts. Ellen is a child of God. She's created by him. And he wants to have a relationship with her. And from what I've seen, and I don't know her personally, her choices and her overt sinful life is evidence of what her faith is. And as believers, we should love her as a sister in Christ. But that doesn't mean we have to tolerate her actions. I would rather her be hanging out with Jesus than a former president. That doesn't carry a whole lot of water with me personally. Great. Still going to hell. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I'm not your judge, but I know your fruit. But see, the thing is, is we do this all the time. We accept people and tolerate their sinful ways. And we think it's okay. First John 2.15 says this, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all the people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Jesus died to take your sin away. You slap him in the face, and you slap the sacrifice in the face when you wallow in your sin. When you take comfort in your sin instead of his sacrifice. Why would we think, given all these examples in scriptures, that it's okay to accept and tolerate these things? Why would we? Does it make sense? The final thing is, is that we have ignorance. Ignorance fuels our false good news. And maybe it's pride that gets in the way. Sometimes we just want to be prideful and say, no, it's, it's not that thing. But think of it this way. Let's say someone came up to you today, out of the blue, came up to your door, because, you know, we're all going to be home watching football or whatever, and they came up to your door and went, you open the door, and they go, you don't know me, but I heard from this guy down the street that you know Jesus. I got about 15 minutes. Tell me about him. Would you be ready? Would you start telling your story? you start telling your testimony? What would you do? What if at that 15-minute point they said, oh, I got to go. Thanks for trying. What if you're in a situation where you're on vacation and 
Okay, here's, here's a situation for you just to throw one out there. You're at Disney World, and you're on the monorail. And the monorail is going from one station to the other station, which means you have about five minutes. And the person says, oh, I see you have a cross that you're wearing. You must be a believer in Jesus. Tell me about it. You got five minutes. And that's it. Are you going to leave that moment to chance? Are you going to tell that person about your story? What are you going to do? Do you know? Do you know what you would do in that situation? Have you ever practiced that? Have you ever written down your testimony? Do you even know your own testimony? I've told you guys my testimony. I don't know a whole lot about it. I accepted Christ when I was four years old. I went through a really tough time in my life. It would take too long to explain, but God brought me out of that. I'm saved now, and I love it. I wouldn't go back and do anything else because I think everything else is dumb. You could mess with that story all you want. You could toss that around. Whatever your story is, that's your testimony. You could tell other people your testimony. But I'll be honest with you, they're not here to talk to listen about you. They could they, they they're not interested in knowing you. They want to know about Jesus. Do you know the story of Jesus well enough to say it in 5 minutes? Some of us are trying to be kind in that moment. We do a lot of good things, but we don't do the good news. And it's not that it's it's not that we didn't mean to do a good thing. Sometimes we just don't know. Our ignorance gets in the way. It can happen. I can't tell you how many times. I can tell you maybe on one hand, I think four times in my life that's actually happened. I used to wear a cross around my neck. And that's exactly how it happened. Some folks, you get a tattoo, and the tattoo says a story about Jesus or something. Or, you know, what was it? I was talking to Sid today. I said, you're going to have to tell me the story about your tattoo. Because every tattoo, every tattoo has a story. Some of the stories are more interesting than others. But <laughs> I will tell you, are you ready? Life is fragile. And this world is full of broken people. I, I talked about this from the piano, and I kind of, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit in that because this word is just coming out of me today. Imagine a clay pot. You know, the, the Bible says that we're a clay pot, and God's forming us, and then He breaks us, and He reforms us, and breaks us, and reforms us. There's a lot to that story, and you can go deeper into that if you want. But I want to tell you something important. When you put a candle into that sucker, and you put the fire in there, and it has light coming out of it, if it's a solid pot, the light's only going to go straight up. It doesn't have a whole lot of effect out here. But if you break that pot, and then you put it back together, there's going to be areas in those cracked and broken places where the light will shine through. God is going to put you in the path of people who are broken in the same ways that you're broken. And if you don't let the light shine through your brokenness, maybe your pride gets in the way. You know, I'd, I, I wrote in the paper, and, and, you know, a lot of people would actually tell me this was not a smart thing to do. You shouldn't have done that. People are going to talk. I'm like, what are they going to say? 
<laughs> I I really people people I'm not going to hide who who I am. I suffered with PTSD. I was angry in my past. I've dealt with all that stuff. And who and guess who brought me through it? God. God brought me through that because there's a lot of people that are still suffering with it. And I still suffer every once in a while. I still have days where I get depressed. I can connect with people in that way. I've been unemployed twice. I can talk with people who've been unemployed. I got to have a conversation with a guy I picked up in my van who had just gotten fired. And I said, look, I know it sucks right now, but God can show, can come through with, can come through with you if you're going to listen to him. But I'll tell you what, God put that man in my vehicle, but I missed this. I never once asked him the question. I failed. And maybe someone will pick up this pick up where I left off because you know I cast the seed and all that other stuff. But if we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus, doesn't that say we're supposed to be cultivating? Shouldn't we be doing more? Never underestimate how God can use you. Ask the questions. Are you a believer? Are you saved? God commissions the broken believers to bring the broken lost to him. This is your mission. This is the reason you're a believer. Not just to get salvation and get a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, our, our job as believers is to make other believers. Imagine how your life would look different if you lived, the day, if you lived daily the, the, gr- the Great Commission. Go and make, go and make. Go and make, 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 go and make. We're going to be talking about that next two weeks. I've got a two-part sermon I'm going to do. It's on go and make. So get used to hearing go and make. Because for the for the next two weeks, it's all going to be about go and make, go and make, go and make, go and make, go and make. Got it? We're going to be talking about that. But if... If you're not ready to share your faith, maybe you walked in here today and you're suffering from guilt. Maybe you've come across situations where you knew you should have shared your faith, but you didn't. And maybe that has brought on some shame. Maybe maybe the words today that I've spoken have resonated with you and you're going, oh man, I messed that up bad. I want to be clear, that's not what this is about. You can't do anything about the past. The past is over. How are you going to change? Are you going to get over your fear? Are you going to start caring enough to share your faith? And get over your complacency about it? Maybe it's just simply 
You don't know how. I'm going to do something I have, to my recollection, I've never done in this in this church. And, and the reason why is because I've always been like, oh, it's really difficult to do that. I don't know what people are going to think. So I'm going to get over my fear and my complacency. And I'm going to be a little vulnerable. And you guys can follow suit if you want, but I'm going to do what God says to do. I'm going to ask you, if you are struggling with fear about sharing your faith, if you struggle with complacency, and sometimes you walk through those moments and you realize, oh, man, I should have done that because now I've missed that opportunity. Or maybe you just don't know. I'm going to shut up. And I'm going to open the altars. And I'm going to put some music on somehow. <laughs> I'll figure that out. Um, and I want to open up the altars. And if there's no room up here, feel free to just be where you are, I guess. But I'd like you to take some time and just spend some time with Jesus. And when you're done, just have that be your time when you're done. I'm not going to do like a, a hard end to the service. Just when you're done. Okay? I'm going to spend some time too because I need help. Okay? If, you, if you're out there and you see someone that's praying and you're not praying, go and pray for them. And pray whatever God puts on your heart to pray. If he says nothing, just pray silently. Okay? Jesus, you.